You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome to Save a Pooch on Pet Life Radio. I am your host, Beverly Isla. Thank you for tuning in. This week, we will discuss how to foster dogs. If anyone can just do it, what are some of the challenges, and most importantly, how we can help get a successful adoption for that foster dog. With more rescue organizations popping up by demand, more fosters will be needed. I mean, actually, a lot more are needed now. So in a short while, our guest, Pat Miller, a renowned best-selling author and founder of Peaceable Paws, will share some of her insights on how to foster a dog. In fact, that's the name of one of her books. And Pat Miller was also named one of 45 people who changed the dog world by Dog Fancy Magazine just this month. But before she comes on, I want to share some of the ways to set your foster dog up for success. And I can vouch from my experience that it helped me find the forever homes of my last two foster dogs. So when we get back from these messages, I'll spill my beans on what you can do as a foster. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. Listen, cat people, it's just litter. Until you realize those big boxes mean big smells, big messes, and big money. Switch to World's Best Cat Litter, the only litter with concentrated power. It guarantees less smells, less work, all with less litter. Try the small bag that lasts one cat 30 days and you'll realize it's just litter. Unless it's World's Best Cat Litter. Find it at Target, Walmart, and at your local grocery and pet stores. Hi, Jill. I see you and Bella are enjoying this lovely day as well. It's a perfect day for a walk. Isn't that right, Bella? And what a colorful ID tag you have, Bella. It certainly puts my Rusty's boring engraved tag to shame. Isn't it great? It's a dog tag art tag. Dog tag art? Yeah. Dog tag art makes the world's coolest pet ID tags. Pick from hundreds of cute designs or upload your photos or artwork to create a unique tag of your own. They even give you four lines of text on the back of the tag for important contact information. I love it! But do they hold up? We have to replace Rusty's metal tags so often because the information wears away. Dog tag art tags are some of the highest quality pet tags out there. They're made with super durable stainless steel. Your information is always legible and the tags are guaranteed for life. Well, I'm sold. Where can I get my dog tag art tag for Rusty? Dogtagart.com. Shopping there is so easy and fun. You're sure to find one that matches Rusty's personality perfectly. Sounds great. We can't wait to get online and get a tag of our own. Dogtagart.com. We keep best friends together. Use the coupon code RADIO for a 25% discount off any tag. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Save a Pooch. We are talking about fostering dogs. And before our guest comes on, there are ways for fosters to bring out the best in their foster dog. 
So first thing, if you are thinking about being a foster, it's an awesome experience, especially if you sincerely want to work with dogs that can't have a permanent dog of your own for whatever reason. But please know that fostering um, is more than just help wanting a dog to cuddle with. Sure, they can give you that, but as the front line of helping a dog rehabilitate, there's a bit more work involved. Like rescue organizations, they don't require you to put in that extra work. But let's face it, most fosters aren't vets. We're not practitioners. We're not trainers. So we have to do due diligence with what we can. And love is a great foundation. Some trainers will argue with that, but it has to be in addition to understanding your foster dog's triggers and uh, helping them with certain obstacles. So training is not the end-all be-all. There's still the emotional aspect of that dog to address that conventional training may not be able to reach. Animal communicators can tell you all about it. There are things outside of the box that is worth considering. So I'm all about weighing all the options instead of being told this is the only option. And drugs to me are not the only option. Euthanasia as the first solution to aggression is not the only option. So whether it be looking at a human or a dog, a holistic approach is to me best to suit that particular person or dog. So one size doesn't fit all. Human or dog, we all don't have the same fears. We don't have the same factors or triggers. Personally, when I foster, I observe their behavior, their patterns, their likes, their dislikes. And based on that, I take the time to research professionals who can give me some tips. So I look for certain foods. I don't necessarily feed them with the bag the rescue gives. If it's low quality food, I won't really use it. So food can greatly improve their state of mind. If you're going to put junk or chemicals in them, their health can only go so far. And same with us. I also look for natural supplements and remedies at health food stores. Trust me, this alone can help with the transition. I have a few favorites, but that's for another time. So all in all, it's an, it's an extra effort that is not paid. So it can be a hit in the pocket, that's for sure. But at the end of the day, if the foster dog can get a head start with me, typically the person that adopts them will continue what you started. So to me, that's a small legacy worth considering. So let's get back to fostering. Here are seven things to consider before you fill in that foster volunteer form. One, research a responsible rescue organization in your area. They are not all created equal, and it's hard to spot the good ones from the shady ones. So no offense to anyone running a rescue, but it is what it is. There are no governing bodies in this area. So you have to do due diligence, ask them a lot of questions, research reviews. If you can try to connect with their fosters to get feedback, that would be awesome. I won't get into what are some of the things that can go wrong because I'm not here to negate uh, rescue organizations. I am in support of them. Just get in touch with the ones that will support you as a foster volunteer. If they have a stringent procedure in accepting fosters, that's a good sign. Two, prepare your living environment so it can be a positive experience for your foster dog. The last thing they need is to be rescued from a not-so-good place to go into another not-so-good place. So, for example... Don't have rowdy children around a lot. Many foster dogs find it stressful. So you can have them stay in an area where there's natural light. Maybe put some lavender essential oil drops on their bed. That helps with relaxation. Three, have all the necessary accessories, um, obviously. But mind you, the rescue organization usually provides leashes, the basic food items, sometimes even clothing. I find I always buy harnesses when I foster because I find it easier to walk them. And I also buy specific foods that are on the healthier side to start boosting their nutrition intake. Four, research dog professionals, as I mentioned, in your area that would be willing to help you. I mean, it's not a requirement, but I just like to take that extra step. For example... I found a daycare that didn't charge me to bring my foster there so I can see if his socialization skills with other dogs can be improved. 
I also reached out to a groomer who helped me out because she had experience in aggressive dogs. And my last foster dog, no regular groomer would take him in because he was that much of a biter. So you won't know until you ask. So having help from a holistic vet, that would be ideal because they have tools in their toolbox that can tremendously help with trauma and stress. Um, a good directory to go to is www.civtedu.org. They have a slew of um, holistic vets on that website. Five, engage them in training exercises. I mean, if you get one that's already trained, that's a bonus. But getting professional training can be costly. So try to pick up some books in the library. But be careful on the techniques that you use because those foster dogs that have been abused, they don't fully trust you to be their dominant leader. But I actually prefer um, positive reinforcement. But again, do your research. Six, don't rely on the rescue organizations to do all the marketing. So you want to post pictures, write about your foster dog and share on social media. Go to the dog park and let people know um, this dog is looking to be adopted. So you can make a simple flyer, go to your local vet and see if they're willing to display that flyer. That's how I found the last two foster dogs homes. And seven, lastly, prepare to give them a lot of love. I know there are trainers out there that think love is not how you rehabilitate or train a dog, but come on, dogs give us unconditional love. How can we not return it? I mean, they may not be the best behaved when you first get them, but be patient with them. They can turn around fairly quickly. So that's about it. I mean, now that I've made it seem like fostering dogs is a full-time job, don't be swayed by it because if it comes naturally to you, you're going to be doing it for the right reasons anyway. So let's turn to Pat Miller and get her advice. Thank you for, for being a guest today, Pat. Oh, thank you for having me. Now, you're an expert in animal behavior and training. I was reading some of your stuff. And can you tell me more about the color coding system and how it helps shelters? I've never heard of that term. Sure. When I was director of operations at the Marin Humane Society, I collaborated with Trish King, who is now also a, a well-known person in the dog training field. Mm-hmm. We had our volunteers coming to us telling us they were concerned because they didn't know enough about the dogs in the kennels that they were expected to walk, and they sometimes found themselves overmatched. So we started a system where we color-coded the dogs green for the easy dogs, blue for the moderately difficult dogs, and yellow for the very difficult to handle dogs. And then we coded the volunteers on the same scale. Green volunteers only walked green dogs. Blue volunteers could walk blue and yellow dogs, or blue and green dogs, and yellow volunteers could walk any of the dogs. Oh, so the volunteers are assessed on what like their skills are and what they're right. uh, yep. capable yep. of. Right, yeah, their skills uh, and their physical abilities. So there might be somebody who has some you know, physical challenges of some kind that might not be able to handle a dog who pulls really hard. It didn't necessarily mean there were huge behavioral issues like aggression or anything, but just you know, more challenging to handle. Okay, okay. And what did you find? Like, What kind of results were there from uh, doing this kind of matching? Well, what we found was, A, not only were the volunteers happier about um, the jobs they were doing, but our dogs tended to improve in their behavior instead of deteriorating in the behavior because they were being handled by people who were able to reinforce desirable behaviors and avoid reinforcing undesirable ones. Okay. Well, that sounds interesting. Which area did you guys focus more on with this system? Which uh, rescues? Oh, okay. So we started this at the Marin Humane Society. Uh, Other shelters around the country have picked up on it. After Marin, I was actually, I moved to Santa Cruz and was on the board of the Santa Cruz SPCA and we started it there. So um, I've seen it implemented in a number of different shelters around the country. Okay. 
Great, great, great. Hoping um, rescue, other rescue organizations and shelters will be able to pick that up. Where can they find out more about it? They could email me at info at peaceablepause.com, and I bet they could contact the Marin Humane Society also. They're probably still doing it there. That's the Marin Humane Society in Novato, California. Oh, great, great, great. Thank you for letting us know. Now, your training methods, you are very, very unique in your training methods, and I'm interested to know what is it about your methods that you find work so successfully with uh, dog toods? Dog well, toods is my turn with dogs of attitude. <laughs> yeah. First of all, I, I'm delighted that my methods are less unique than they once were. Really? There is okay. now, there's been a significant shift in the dog training world toward a more positive reinforcement-based approach or what some of us call force-free training. I was sort of early on in that shift, but now there are many trainers that, that use those methods. And essentially, positive reinforcement-based training avoids confrontations with dogs. We deliberate, whereas some of the old-fashioned training methods deliberately are con- confrontational. And so what you call dogs with attitudes, um, <laughs> yes. we figure it's our job as the supposedly more intelligent species to be able to figure out how to make things work for those dogs without using force and coercion. And it's the force and coercion that cause the attitudes to erupt. Gotcha. And I can imagine like with rescues that already have trauma, forcing them into something (laughs) else would be detrimental. What we'll do is we'll continue with our topic right after these messages from our sponsors. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. Amazing Pet Expos is coming to a city near you. Admission is always free and your pet is welcome. Shopping, adoptions, free nail trims, discounted shots and microchipping, agility, a pet costume contest, and much more. Plus, meet the guys from Animal Planet's hit TV series Tank and Pit Boss online at AmazingPetExpos.com. Bring your pets to the Pet Expo. Active for Pets is a new wellness platform and app that helps pet parents save time and money on their vet bills. Stop paying for unnecessary vet treatments. Consult with a vet online. Get unlimited access to your pet's entire health history from any computer or smartphone with the Active for Pets app. Vaccinations, medications, test results, and more. Active 4 Pets gives you access to a team of expert vets for non-emergency care. Make an appointment before, during, or after office hours. Skip the waiting room and get a secure online vet consult on your schedule. Taking care of your pets is as easy as it gets with Active 4 Pets. Ready to try Active 4 Pets? Listeners get 40% off a one-year membership. To get this great offer, use promo code PETLIFE on the sign-up page of Active4Pets.com. That's A-C-T-I-V, the number 4, P-E-T-S dot com. Or call 888-512-2848. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Save a Pooch. We are talking with Pat Miller about fostering dogs. So let's jump into your book, How to Foster a Dog. I actually read it as soon as someone told me about it 
that it even existed. And I love that you provide um, practical approaches. What are some of the top things fosters need to do as soon as they bring a dog home? Well, I'd like to back the truck up a little bit there because there's a lot of things fosters need to do before they bring the dog home. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Let's get into that. (laughs) So for starters, if you're not already fostering, but you're thinking about getting into fostering, you want to be sure you research the shelters and rescue groups in your area to be, Thank be you. sure you find, you find one or more organizations that you're comfortable fostering for. Gotcha. Because it's, it's not like Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts where everybody's under some you know, national organization that sets standards and, and practices. Every shelter is its own entity and every rescue group is its own entity and they all do things differently. Yes. Um, yes. And, you know, I may feel some are better and some are worse. And generally different doesn't necessarily mean better or worse, but just different. So you want to be sure you're working with a a group that whose philosophies are congruent with your own and whose policies and procedures you're comfortable with. And how would they how would they figure that out, though? They would just go on the website or do you suggest them talking to the the organizer? Good question. Yeah, they can go on the website and see what they can find there. Definitely need to talk to somebody within the organization making sure, I mean, one of the things I would suggest to people is there should be a point person in the organization. There should be a person that is the either foster coordinator or has some title, and that's the person you know you talk to if you have questions or, or concerns. or needs, right. right, right. So that's one thing. Another thing to look for is simply, are the animals well cared for? Whether they're in the shelter environment before they go into fostering, whether they're you know somewhere within the rescue organization, you want to be sure you're not enabling a hoarder. And unfortunately, but that's the issue I find is even yeah. though whatever's on the paperwork, right. some of them are just words on paper that it's not true. So there's <laughs> that one's a hard one to find out. Right. And the way you find that out is you tell them you'd like to visit if it's not a shelter with a facility. If it's a shelter with a facility or a rescue group with a facility, you want to visit the facility. Right. And if the dogs are overcrowded, have injuries, don't look healthy, then there's a good chance you're looking at a hoarding situation. Now, okay. they may have gotten some thin dogs that just came in from a, you know, from being rescued somewhere or a dog with injuries that's being treated because it just came from rescue somewhere, but overall the the animals that the organization is responsible for should be well cared for and healthy. Okay. Important tip. Okay, another thing to look for is some organizations will pay all the costs of the dog's care while you are fostering. So that includes food and vet care and in some cases even consulting with a behavior professional. I have some rescue groups that work with me and their fosters come with their foster parents for um, behavior consults. Some organizations will pay for all of that. Mm-hmm. Some pay for nothing. So you want to find out up front you know, how financially obligated you're going to be if you take on a foster. Ooh. Yeah, I've had a horror story a few months ago with a a foster from a rescue. And I thought that rescue was pretty credible. But when I was talking to the foster and she was telling me all the horror stories on she couldn't return it. So she was pretty much legally bound to that dog. And yeah, it was a mess. Yeah, that Mm -hmm. is an important part. And that they have insurance that covers you as a volunteer. Really? Yeah, a legitimate nonprofit organization should insure their volunteers for any activities they do that are related to that organization. Did not note that one. Okay, so what else? So that's all before before you even think about bringing home a dog. That's- a couple of other really important pieces are that all of your family members are on board. 
they don't necessarily all have to commit to invest in the time and energy that you may be willing to invest in the foster, but they at least need to be supportive yes. because it, it's no good for that foster to come to a home where there's stress and conflict over their presence. Oh, yes. Crowded home. Yes. <laughs> and then the other thing to think about is your other non-human family members. If you have a dog at home who doesn't get along well with other dogs, mm. then you need to look at volunteering for that organization in some way other than bringing foster dogs into your home. Gotcha. I have from time to time had clients who, who are fostering and who are having issues between their dog and the fosters. And often one of the first things I say to them is you need to stop fostering because it's not fair to your home dog to keep putting them under the stress of yes. a parade of strange dogs coming and going if they're not a dog that doesn't welcome other dogs with you know open paws. Also, if you have other small companion animals at home, cats, guinea pigs, birds, you need to select carefully when you bring home a foster dog so you don't end up with one that has a lot of predatory behavior that risks the safety of your other animal companions. <laughs> you don't want to have any missing birds. Exactly. So okay. assuming you've got past all that and now yeah. you've brought, <laughs> you're bringing your foster dog home, just as if you were adopting a new dog, you want to sort of dog-proof your home. You want to set this foster dog up to succeed. So you yes. don't want him to have a lot of opportunities to do behaviors that are going to get him in trouble because then he's likely to repeat those behaviors in his new home. So what is baby gates. Ah, okay, baby gates. Okay. Yeah. yeah, baby gates, exercise pens, um, crates leashes. We just actually adopted a new dog a couple of days ago and he was attached to me the first day and wore a house line or a drag line, which is just a leash attached to his collar the second day so that we could corral him easily if we needed to. And uh, today is day four and he's no longer wearing his house line. So those kinds of things, the same things you would do if you brought a new dog home. Um, don't leave, you know, the Easter ham out on the counter for him to learn that counter surfing is a, a fun thing to do. Things like that. Okay. Now, what do you suggest when people bring home a dog and they didn't really realize that it's it's an aggressive dog? Well, first of all, they need to contact the organization that they're fostering for mm -hmm. and I am a big proponent of organizations, rescue and shelters, doing some form of legitimate behavior assessment before they either place a dog up for adoption or place it in a foster home so that mm -hmm. they can identify some of those kinds of behaviors in advance. And then depending on, when, when we say aggression, that's just such a huge category. There are some behaviors that we define as aggression that are actually normal, natural behaviors for dogs. And if you are able to, if your household is such that you can manage that behavior, then it's not necessarily a huge red flag. Right, So, right. you know, when we say aggression, one that's common is guarding resources. Yes, And for a while, shelters were really sensitive about dogs guarding resources, and that was almost a death sentence in many shelters if a dog showed resource guarding behavior in an assessment. And we have since come to understand and, and hopefully help shelters understand that resource guarding is a natural, normal behavior. It's, it's a That's good survival skill. Yeah, it's exactly, a good yeah. survival skill. <laughs> so some of the things that we might have in the past done to kind of provoke dogs into resource guarding, we look at now and go, well, how unfair is that? Of course, he wants to keep his bone. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. 
So unless you have small children in the home and the dog is really a fierce resource guarder, it's really a pretty manageable behavior. It's harder with small children because it's harder to make sure they're not doing things that will trigger a guarding response from the dog. But um, that's one example. Other examples, some dogs, for example, don't like being physically coerced. So you may hear, oh, I tried to move him off the sofa and he growled and snapped at me. Ooh, I get a lot of those ones. (laughs) Yeah, and I say, you know what, don't move him off the sofa. Don't physically try to push him off the sofa. Invite him off the sofa by tossing a treat on the floor. Teach him a cue off means jump off the sofa and you'll get a treat on the floor. I mean, I don't physically coerce my dogs off the sofa. I I invite them off and they have Mm. learned, they're trained, so they have learned to get off. So I do very little physical manipulation of my dogs. It doesn't mean that they haven't been taught that they can be handled if necessary. But just things, I mean, we tend to be rude a lot with our dogs. And if we back off and stop being rude, they're less likely to respond with aggression. The alpha dog model, that's something you will probably wouldn't enforce in your training. No. I mean, not only does that set a dog up to fail, okay. but it's scientifically unsound. Dogs don't have alphas. They don't have a rigid hierarchy. That's all just garbage. Ah, so the, okay. whole, the whole dominance thing in dogs has been proven to be patently false and very destructive to human-dog relationships. Okay, good to know. Okay, so now that the foster, I'm just going to walk them through this. The foster has done their preliminary research. They're bringing the dog home. They got everything set up. What are the top tips that you can give for fosters for their, the adoptions to come fairly quickly and fairly smoothly? Well, um, again... Setting the dog up to get to be reinforced for desirable behaviors and preventing them from being reinforced for undesirable behaviors. So you don't know when you bring a foster dog home if he's house trained. So you don't turn him loose in the house and then discover after you find, you know, puddles on the floor that, oh, we should have been more careful about making sure he went outside first thing. So assuming that they're not trained, assuming that they're not house trained, and acting accordingly. Identifying behaviors. I suggest that foster parents keep a journal just of their daily interactions with their dogs. If they discover, for example, yeah, perhaps they don't have children of their own, but their neighbors do, and they realize when they're walking the foster dog that he's shying away from children. Good information. This probably means he needs to get adopted to a home that doesn't have small children or doesn't regularly have small children visit. So the more things like that the foster parent can identify, the better the match will be when they start looking for an adoptive home. That's actually a really good tip. Yes, keep in a journal. Yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. We have foster parents who bring their dogs to our training classes. So if you as a foster can invest some time in training, either through a class or even training on your own, if you do nothing more than teach him to sit and lie down when you ask him to, that can help immensely with finding a new home and keeping him in the new home if he already knows some things before he leaves your hands. Okay, that is good to know. Now, the book, How to Foster a Dog, where's the easiest place for people to purchase your book? They can get it from my website, which is peaceablepaws.com. Peaceable is P-E-A-C-E-A-B-L-E-P-A-W-S.com. My publisher is dogwise.com. They have all of my books also. Okay, um, great. So it's on amazon.com as well. 
Okay. And now your training programs, is that only done in person with you or do you also have online options? I do not do online training. Okay. Good to know. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Pat, for being an encouragement to uh, anyone looking to foster. If you'd like to know more about her work and training programs, you can check it out. Again, it's uh, www.peaceablepause.com. We are out of time, and I'd like to thank Pat Miller and our show producer, Mark Winter, for making this show possible. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas for a show, please email me at beverly at petliferadio.com. So until next time, spread animal compassion. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.